what's incredible is when we work spiritually with the earth, the voice of the earth and the plants begin to speak to us and kind of like coach us. And it's a very loving grandmother voice generally. And it's very forgiving and very generous. And so when you work with the plants and the earth, she's almost always like, baby, mm, just, just come over here. Just rest, just relax, just receive. You are worthy exactly as you are. You are whole. And then we learn how to do that for ourselves. And then we learn how to do that for each other. Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Welcome back to the Time of the Feminine podcast. I am so excited to have a very special guest here today, Marisha Maranowska, who's an herbalist, teacher, author, earth activist. Many of you probably know her from the School of the Sacred Wild. She is a gardener and green witch rooted in the wise women tradition of healing. Her work and devotional practices are centered around the mission of supporting a deepening of love and regenerative relationship with the earth people and the mutual healing of both human and plant communities. And Marisha, I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast today. I have your book, The Witch's Herbal Apothecary, here at my house. And I also got the beautiful pleasure of using your sacred bath, like herbal stuff (laughs) this weekend. And I told you already, but I had like one of the most loving, nurturing, experiences with myself that I've Mm. had in a long time, which I think it's a testament to the love and energy that you put into your products and also the plants that work with you. So thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with both of you and with your gorgeous community. So let's just go ahead and jump on in. As witches in this time and with everything that is going on, you know, how are you communicating to to the people that you work with about reconnecting with the earth, which is something that it feels like so many of us have gotten so far from? Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, when we look at everything that's occurring, I believe not only in our macro social world of, of you know, politically, environmentally, but even in our personal lives, I think we can recognize that there is a deep longing for connection to the mother and connection to nourishment and to ourselves. And and I love actually, Shana, how you mentioned that like the bath experience was like the sweetest connection you had with yourself. 
And, and that really struck a chord for me because so much of the chaos that we're experiencing, both externally, but also internally, you know, is coming from a lack of sacred connection with the sacred within ourselves and the sacred in nature. So teaching and facilitating deep connection with the earth, with the living earth, with the consciousness of the earth and the, the nourishment and the healing that comes from touching the soil and laying our body on the earth and, and touching the seeds and, and making medicine and healing each other with food and, and these ancestral practices. I mean, this is really a direct embodied way to coming back to ourselves, who we are as the living earth and to the earth and all that is holy. Yummy. That was so delicious. Just even watching you, I'm sure people listening to you could feel the nourishment in, mm. in what you were speaking. I love what you said about us as the embodiment of the living earth. I'd love to speak more about that. Could you elaborate a little bit? Yeah. You know, it's, it's really beautiful. It's both humbling, but it also, I think, makes us experience a level of vastness. And, and in that, we can find our power and our ability to affect change in, in the whole sacred web of life. When we recognize that, you know, we are made of the same stuff as the stars and, and that we crawled out of the ocean and, and that, you know, our, our flesh and, and our skin is the same as the soil of the earth. And when we recognize that, and this is all just scientifically true, like it's not even metaphor or poetry, like it's just fact, you know. And then when we realize, of course, that, that every day we're ingesting the living earth. You know, I mean, through eating, we have three moments or more or less or whatever, but about three moments a day where we are in sacred, intimate exchange with the living earth. It's like we're making love with the earth. You know, three moments a day where we're opening our body and our heart and we're saying, enter my body and let me become you. Change me and, and I will change you. And so... Yeah, I mean, we're so, you know, tied, right? I mean, like every breath we take, right? And, and every sip of water, I mean, we can't be alive without this web of life being, being alive and thriving. Wow, I feel like I'm changed forever solely by that statement of us like being in such deep relationship with our food. Like, I'm like, wow, I've been a bad lover when I haven't paid attention <laughs> to you or like really acknowledged, you know, this like, this essence that I'm receiving. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, on the solstice, ended up writing on my kitchen cabinet. And now I enter the sacred exchange with the living earth. Just so that every time I open my kitchen cabinet to take out a bowl or a plate, I can remind myself. Because, of course, we all, you know, it's so easy to, to kind of mindlessly eat or to be like on our phones while we're eating. And, and just to have that shift of recognizing like that that is actually an opportunity to be in reverence and in ceremony and, and really treat it like making love. It allows us to experience sacredness in the mundane, to experience magic in the mundane. And I think, you know, as, as a witch, as a teacher, a lot of times people are seeking these, these like huge spiritual experiences 
And it, it can be really great for us to ground in the knowing that like that opportunity for intimate connection is here every single moment. And it you don't have to go out on some amazing, you know, adventure or consume some psychotropic plants or, you know, like it doesn't have to be this heroic thing. It's in fact in the consistency of presence in the mundane mm. that true love, I think, blooms. Wow. Your poetry. You really are. And very mm. wise. I am thinking of my partner. We're recently mm. engaged. He's my fiance. And he reminds me of what you're speaking. We're in Florence right now. And I, I'm my first time in Italy. And and I had this potato, which I was telling you about. And I had this sacred potato. It was so good. And we both looked at each other and he said, this is the apex of our lives. And I looked at him and I was like, well, can't every moment be lived as an apex? And he's like, that's a radically awesome practice. I think we should try for that. Like even in the suffering, even in the disconnect. But what I love about what you're saying is this shift that I'm personally going through in some ways. And I'm learning how to balance out and mm. walk in more harmony and more connection and more really genuine care for myself. Because in some ways, these really intense experiences are like a pendulum the other way from the really intense trauma we've had, mm. right? So we want to go to these extremes yes. to have these highs to somehow find the middle, uh, which is simplicity, connection, earth. And there's something that I think can seem so hallmark or so simple and maybe boring to people that we overlook that the real revolution is in the simplicity of our day-to-day and how we interact. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's a really hard practice, you know, and I think this is like a moment where we can just be like radically compassionate with ourselves and, and practice a lot of self-forgiveness and just kindness towards ourselves and be like, yeah, I mean, this is what, you know, Taoist monks and, and everybody is working on their whole lives, you know, is is bringing reverence to the present moment. And, and especially in our culture, you know, we are being rewired. Our brains are being rewired by our relationship, I think, to social media, to the computer, to like how quickly we can buy things online. And that which is very ancient and human in us is, you know, being trumped a little bit by these new short circuits that are developing in our brain. And and we want this instant gratification or these like high moments. So it is a, it is a dance. We, we, we really, I believe are being called into many challenging acts of transformation these days. One of them being alchemizing these pressures of modernity and, and the shininess of capitalism, which ultimately extracts our life force, our creativity, our presence, and, you know, and creates humans that are not like living medicine, that are not really helping the earth, but also that are suffering, you know, people who are constantly getting trapped in these, you know, by, by all that is shiny. And we all are all the time. I mean, it's like, that's the thing is, again, we have to practice radical compassion because we were all born into a capitalist system. So we all have to constantly be kind of like lovingly scooping ourselves back to simpler, to the present moment, to do I really need that? Or like, is this really connected to my values so that we can make a collective shift away from this extractive culture that we're in? So 
Marcia, you definitely remind me of like a Renaissance woman. Like I feel like you have these different aspects of yourself that you've brought into the world because for one, you're deeply connected to the earth, connected to the plants, know how to make medicine and all these beautiful things with the earth's bounty. And then you also have built a beautiful business for yourself and all the women that you're supporting. And so I'm curious about your journey. Like what's your heroine's journey? How did you get here and have these realizations that impacted you in this way to be able to create and do what you do? Oh my God. I mean, how much time do we have? <laughs> it's been a we want to know. It's been a journey and there've been a lot of moments of like, you know, of like, crying and uh, you know I mean there's been a lot of ups there's been a lot of downs I think you know to summarize or to kind of speak to some of the points you know I want to acknowledge my roots I was born in Poland and and my I come from like a really badass lineage of revolutionary activist women you know some of them helped Jewish people escape Poland others my grandmother smuggled weapons in you know, under the nose of the Nazis to, to fight against the Nazis. So I come from, from a lot of really incredible activist women and, and my parents are also just, you know, real activists and professors. And so I was raised with this, like, you know, you are here to, to save the earth, which also is really heavy. <laughs> and, I've, and in my own personal healing journey, I've had to really, especially as I've gotten older, unpack and compost some of the threads of martyrdom. You know, I've definitely have had lifetimes of sacrificing my energy and my body for the goddess or for the whole or for others and as a healer. So, you know, as someone who's been holding healing containers and running a, you know, a school and an apprenticeship for a very long time now, I have also had to really learn how to do that in a way where I'm also taking care of myself and, and I've had to unpack some of the shadow of martyrdom and, and notice, you know, it took me a while to notice like, Oh, like this, some of this is not healthy. So that's like an aspect. One thread is, you know, and I, I love this saying like our greatest gift is right next to our greatest wound. And I find that that's true is, is often our, whatever our gift is and, and that which we're really here to kind of give in the world and, and cultivate is right next to a big wound of ours. And, and so that's kind of, that speaks to that aspect, I guess, of the heron's journey is a big gift has been being deeply rooted in a lineage of ancestral female badasses and, and like matriarchs and having a lot of fire and desire to, to make the world a better place and a lot of courage. I, I really appreciate my courage and I have used my voice to speak for people who don't have a voice and for living beings who don't have a voice. And I felt very dedicated to that. And I've done it at times where, you know, it has depleted me. And, you know, I think that's, that's one of the things as a modern human is our culture is not intact. And so some of us who are holding containers of healing, we have some teachers, we have some way showers, and then there are you know, entire lineages of priestesses that are not there anymore to teach us, you know, how to strike balance. And then, of course, in this day and age, it's like, yes, I'm a priestess and a witch and a teacher, but I'm also a mother. And I, and I also like want to just be a woman, you know, and and so these are things that I think we're figuring out as we go 
through life. So to kind of speak to my story a little bit, that's where I came from. I've, I've grown up between the U.S. and Poland. I've lived in many different countries, and, and I feel blessed to speak you know, five languages fluently and to have been able to be with different cultures and live very close to the land. And, and I, at one point, was going to be an architect. I was really into creating intentional communities that would be socially healing. And that was kind of my mission when I was in college. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I ended up being in Mexico, doing my thesis on vernacular architecture, getting very sick. There was also some things that I don't actually like to talk about that happened there that were very intense and dark. And I, I became very, very sick. And that shifted the whole course of my life. And I started to, you know, seek to heal my body, which had become sick from spiritual illness as well, and tried alternative medicine and, you know, all the things. And I began to be reacquainted with this world of healing from this different lens of like what the scientific tradition of healing is, where it's like, we will fix you. And then what the heroic tradition of healing is, which is like, we have this one special plant and it costs thousands of dollars and or like you have to detox yourself you've been bad you know and all these different paradigms and then i found myself in the woods in vermont living really close to the earth and suddenly found myself in the forest hearing the plants that my grandmothers taught me about when i was a little girl nettles and and the wild weeds and and those plants brought me back to life the wild weeds the common weeds that were plant that were just abundant and free. And at that time, I found the Gaia School of Healing and Earth Education and Sage Maurer, who's my dear sister and friend and godmother to my daughter and, and who has a beautiful school of herbalism. And I began to study plant spirit communication and folk medicine and really went back to, to my roots and to the things that my grandmothers were teaching me about in Poland. And then I came to L.A., and fell in love with the land here and really noticed how the land was struggling and how people were struggling and really noticed how much fire there is here and drive and ambition and desire for shiny things. And, and that fire translates to this drought and to this land that burns and to these people who are burnt out. A lot of burned out folk in this area and as a healer, that became my mission is to bridge, to bridge and create relationship between the land and people here so that both the land and people could heal. And, and what I realized is that the land just needs people that see it and love it and, and heal it and give it nourishment. And the people here in Los Angeles and really in our modern world are just also seeking the same thing. They just need the earth and relationship to place and nourishment. I want to acknowledge your vision, your eyes to see and your ability to feel and sense the various dimensions at play in our life, in our world and in our health, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And I love how you just articulated that because it was so clear that you dwell within all of those dimensions as one versus just the material or just the spiritual. You understand how they play into each other. And that to me is the mark of a healer. That to me is a mark of an awakened 
embodied feminine leader is a woman that recognizes the interconnectedness of all of it, the holistic interconnectedness. And so I want to appreciate you for that and um, acknowledge the, the humility that is required to make ourselves so small to experience the vastness in our own bodies. Mm, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I would love to speak a little bit about um, the burnt outness and the disconnect in culture. And you know, this is we. This is a global sisterhood. We have women who listen from all over the world. But I know all of us are in the U.S. right now. But I think it'd be really interesting to talk about with this holistic perspective what's taking place here at home on this earth in this land because there's a lot going on so i'd like to just pass the mic to you to speak about something that's on your heart and we can discuss it Mm, i love that thank you thank you for that invitation and and like just greetings to to all all sisters from all lands and all places yeah i feel like where i'm guided in this moment is actually this place of universal connection for all of us, regardless of what land we live on. And to understand this experience of being burnt out, which I think everybody experiences and is is a product of our extractive capitalist culture and is one of the things that takes away our power and our ability to, to heal ourselves and to heal our relationship with the earth or to heal the earth. And so I want to speak about it in, in the way of looking at the elements, the elements of earth, air, water, and fire. And so I think we all know and recognize that, that this beautiful web of life that we are a part of, it sings its song and is in a vibration of, of health and thriving when those elements are, are in balance and in relationship and they're dancing between themselves and becoming each other. And that's the case for ourselves as well as human beings. We are a microcosm of the macrocosm. And so what happens in the capitalist world is that the capitalist culture is pushing us into this external summer, perpetual fire. It's a culture that's telling us your self-worth is connected to your productivity. You are only as worthy as you are productive. And so we are born into this and and we we tend to push ourselves and we tend to, and this is all gendered beings, we tend to push ourselves out of the sensitivities of our bodies when our bodies say, hey, I just need to rest. Or, you know, boys as well, when they're when they're like, I actually just need to cry. Instead, we are we are living in a culture that's telling us, no, like go out there, produce, act, be loud, be shiny, and really just like do, 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 do. Work, 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 work. And that causes severe depletion in people and in the land. Because when industries are constantly producing and coming up with the next best thing, the next gadget that we don't even need, like that's coming from the earth. That the plastic or the whatever like is the earth, you know, myself as, as somebody who makes things, I have to ask myself, like, you know, when I make herbal medicine, I'm like, do I need to really open up a line of medicine, a new line of medicine? If I do that, where am I getting my bottles from? The bottles 
our glass? Where is that glass coming from? Like, do I need to be putting more stress on the earth? And we just have to ask ourselves these things because we live in a, in a small closed loop of, of finite resources. And so this capitalistic culture is pushing us all into this fire and it doesn't value rest. It doesn't value moments of ugliness. Like I'm sure as like women identified people, you love moments where you can just feel ugly, right? Where you're like, fuck it. <laughs> like, I don't need to dress up. I don't need to look pretty. Like, it's just healthy. There's an element of rest. And of course, our culture and the patriarchal culture is like, no, you always have to look pretty. You have to look a certain way, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that is the element of fire that is in excess. And the element of earth, which is slow, the element of earth is slow. It is not honored in our culture. The element of water, which is nonlinear and fluid and intuitive and emotional, it's shamed in our culture. It's, it's shunned as unreasonable and something to be afraid of. And so in the microcosm of ourselves and our spirits, we see burnt out people who have a hard time connecting to their emotions, to their water, who are just learning now. I feel like there's a learning. We're learning how to validate our emotions, how to own our emotions, how to feel our feelings, right? We're learning the pace of the earth. We're, we're learning, oh my God, I need to rest. I can only heal at the pace at which things heal. I can't speed up my healing, right? I can only grow at the pace at which things grow. And outside of us, you know, we're seeing this with a need for us to take care of the earth. The earth is undervalued. People are not growing their own food. They're not looking outside on the, the little parcel of land they live on and being like, hey, how can I take care of you? You know, we're not honoring the water that we drink. I mean, one of the assignments in my school for my second year students is find out the name of the watershed that your tap water comes out of. I mean, suddenly, right, when someone says that, you're like, oh, my God, shouldn't we all know that, right? Don't you want to, like, turn on the tap and be like, greetings, Owens Rivershed, right? So so there's just this disconnection, and, and so we see it in the droughts. We see it in the wildfires. We see it in the depletion of soil, the burnt-out soil. We see it in the tired earth is there's too much fire. And so by us healing and bringing ourselves back into elemental balance, we begin to bring the earth into elemental balance as well. Mm, I want to go find out my watershed so I can say hi. Yeah. Hey, sister. Pardon this interruption. I just wanted to pop in and let you know that Sacred Facilitator, our advanced training for women who desire to hold space, lead rituals, lead women's circles, workshops, retreats, and more, is enrolling now. And we close enrollment on August 17th. Why Shana and I do this podcast and do our work with Global Sisterhood is because we believe that the world requires a new style of leadership and that women circling together 
and holding space that heals division and renews trust is what the world is needing. And that all of us have special unique gifts birthed from our own life experience that helps us lead. And as many of our teachers say, our leadership requires initiation. And so this training is not only guided by Shana and I, it's guided by elders and wisdom keepers, many who you've heard on this podcast. It is a journey in sisterhood as we reconnect with ourselves, our ancestry, the earth, our spiritual guides, and our purpose here on earth. I like to think of this journey as an initiation into the next level of your leadership, your unique journey. It would be such an honor to get to know you on this journey as we all deepen and learn together. Forever students and forever teachers, all of us can be in circle together as we learn. So my sister, if you are feeling that call to dive deeper and rise higher, I invite you to check out globalsisterhood.org slash sacred-facilitator and sign up. We begin August 22nd and doors close August 17th. Okay, back to the show. It's so it's wild to me because I live on a piece of property now that my sister and I are tending to. And it's the first time that I consciously made a decision to choose to tend to the earth. And it's had its own challenges and like grounding because I have so much fire and I want to produce and I want to be out there and I want to be in the city. And then to be here and to be like, oh, okay, it's like slower and yeah, like taking care of things is slower. And it, it's it's interesting because in hearing you speak I, and as I'm talking, I'm realizing how I'm learning how to adapt to something that is earth-based, you know, that is based in the pace of nature and its cycles. Like as you were speaking, like I want to be growing faster than my plant is outside, but yet it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You know, and this piece of land that we're on has the only flowing water source in San Diego that runs year-round only one and you would never know because they didn't care no one cared about this sacred water source that is running through our backyard and I just find our disconnection from these sorts of things like devastating really it's devastating that I didn't grow up to think and care about these things so I'm curious about how you teach those of us that didn't grow up, you know, with grandmothers that were teaching us about the earth, like how to slow down and how to acknowledge our bodies and take care of the earth. Like, where do we, mm. where do we start? Mm, I love that question. You know, we start by creating relationship with the plants and with the earth and all relationships really need the same thing to thrive, right? Be it like a lover or a friend. Every relationship needs our time and our presence and our attention, right? And it's really just quite simple. We begin with the in the apprenticeship by drinking these herbs and and um, what's really beautiful about the apprenticeship, it's this 10 month journey and we move through the seasons of the year. And each month we drink three different plants. We start the month with a ceremony. We meet the plant spirits. And then students choose like one plant or maybe all three that they're drinking throughout the month. And just that 
begins to create a relationship with the plant, that ritual of showing up, of making your tea every day, and of noticing like, huh, how does this plant make me feel? Oh, this plant makes me feel like a waterfall of cool energy just poured over my body and I feel relaxed. Or like, oh, this plant's like moving some energy in my sacral chakra, making me feel a little sexy. And so it's through this embodied, it's very tantric based actually, the way that I teach the, the connection to the plants, it's through the body, through the heart, by welcoming these plants into our bodies that we learn from them and we develop a relationship with them. And, you know, it's the, the earth just heals us. Like she just does. And it doesn't have to be this intellectual thing, you know? And, and I think that again, we just have to practice such compassion. Like, you know, really none of us have had grandmothers that teach us these things. And I was blessed to have that a little bit, but equally so I I'm also living in this culture and, and was taught to like, you know, move fast and, and all these other things. So what's incredible is when we work spiritually with the earth, the voice of the earth and the plants begin to speak to us and kind of like coach us. And it's a very loving grandmother voice generally. And it's very forgiving and very generous. And so when you work with the plants and the earth, she's almost always like, baby, Mm, just just come over here. Just rest, just relax, just receive. You are worthy exactly as you are. You are whole. And then we learn how to do that for ourselves. And then we learn how to do that for each other. And then we learn how to raise babies like that and how to create community like that. Mm. Thank you for bringing it here. Yes. Mm. <laughs> so I have two directions I want to go, but there's this one vision I keep having. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I have to go here, but it's kind of a weird vision. So we were talking about the elements and I started seeing as we were talking about, I can't grow faster than the pace of growth. I started seeing cities just erecting these giant metal buildings faster and faster and faster. And I started feeling metal, the element of metal. And then the frequency of electronics and the frequency of this like information age interconnection, I started just kind of tripping out, feeling like the being, the energetic frequency, the consciousness of that. It, it almost feels alien, this metal, though there is metal in the earth. This almost like a hyper-intellectualized disconnection portal into this like other world dimension, yes. which the systems of oppression, capitalism, patriarchy, all the white supremacy, all that stuff just kind of lives in there. Mm -hmm. And it's like how... I think it's, you already answered it, the simplicity of when we connect to the earth, we can start to change that frequency. But I, I'm curious if you connect to the earth right now and you have such a strong connection, what does the earth want to say to that frequency? Mm, yeah. I mean, the earth wants to ground it down, right? And that frequency of getting out of the body and into this kind of 
electrical grid of chaotic conversation is incredibly ungrounding. And so the remedy is to ground and, you know, as above, so below. And so if we go out that far, then we have to, in order to cultivate balance within ourselves, in order to be healthy, we need to equally so go as deeply into the realms of deep silence and of slowness and of groundedness. And I remember, this is funny, I remember like 10 years ago, my my ex-partner was really into like the bulletproof thing, which was kind of just kind of starting out then. And he was talking about how, you know, they're, they're doing the, the fat coffee, but then also they're doing all these smart drugs to like make their brains go faster. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so ungrounded. It's so ungrounded. And I said, you know, in five years, they're all going to want to leave and go to Mars. I said, like, these guys need to drink some kava kava. Like they need to, they need to drink some root plants. They need to ground. Otherwise they're going to forget that they're part of this earth and that they're affecting things on this planet. They're going to want to go to Mars. And now they all want to go to Mars. And so it's like, you know, it's, if we hang out in these realms too much, we become very ungrounded. And you can see that too sometimes in the spiritual community, right? People who are like so into ascension that they look like they're floating and they like forget to eat. They forget that they have a body. So it's it's this dance of balance. And, and now more than ever, we need to ground because these outer energies have gotten so strong. And they're and all that, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of energy being put into making them even more addicting and even more alluring and even more prevalent. And there's fewer and fewer wild places on the earth where you can't get internet. So it requires us as alchemists through our bodies to, to ground and to cultivate deep relationship and conversation with the soil beings, with the fungi, with all that is below, with the ancestors. So we can balance this out. It really is just such a trip that, like what you shared about the bulletproof coffee thing, because... <laughs> I think so many of us are are trying to remember what it is to feel like as belonging to this planet because mm. we've become so disconnected. So it's like, of course you want to leave. And yes. of course you have trouble with your peers. And of course our politicians are fighting. And of course, because we don't feel like we belong anymore. Mm. You don't know where your water comes from. You don't know where your food comes from. It's like, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. And it's so important to acknowledge the grief there. Like, right. let's hang out in the grief for a moment. Like, mm. and it's like, it's okay. And it's healthy for us to feel the grief of that. Mm. We have to feel the grief of that, or we will want to dissociate. And we will want to get out of our bodies and out of the heart and into the mind and into addiction be it the internet or alcohol or whatever, shopping, we have to feel the grief. And, and you know, one, one woman and, and human that I so adore and appreciate and has been a great teacher in my life is Joanna Macy. Mm-hmm. And she's an incredible, badass, you know, bodhisattva. I think she's 90 now, environmental activist, author. She has done a lot of work around helping humans 
enter grief as a portal and understand. And as she especially used to work a lot, you know, in the eighties with environmentalists who were getting really burned out with creating grief councils. And, and it's in the feeling of the grief that also there's something that softens in us. It's like, we do actually need to feel the heartbreak of not of feeling like we don't belong. And in that, only in that good cry on the earth, is there then like this soft resurrection of relationship, some kind of window opens of tenderness, that voice of the earth being like, of course you belong. You are made of me. You have always been made of me. And when you die, you will go back into my body, you know? And so, so we have to allow ourselves to feel that full spectrum of feeling. It reminds me of the compost too, like you were saying, right? Like that's the grief is also the compost, the place for the alchemy. Mm. Mm -hmm. Fully. In my experience in the layers that I access, I have, you know, frustration, anger, irritation, anxiety. And then underneath that is grief. It's like a deeper feeling. And I'm curious what you said about the fire in our culture right now feels so, so true. And it's like, I mean, there's so much to feel enraged and outraged about. And that feels like a really important layer. And then there's another layer, which is just heartbreak. It's just heartbreak. And I think when you get to that layer, it's like not even about this person and that person. It's just like, ouch, (laughs) just ouch, all of us, all of us, ouch. With the most recent heartbreak, such a tricky subject with what happened with Roe versus Wade. I live in Texas and I have, you know, family members that are probably happy that mm-hmm. this was overturned, you know, and, and when I practice empathy and I put myself in their shoes, I'm like, okay, I, I understand your perspective and, and. You know, I think to, to speak to folks who are pro-life, I mean, the words pro-life are so beautiful. Like I'm so fucking pro-life yeah, exactly. and I'm also pro-choice in like without any exception. Right. And to speak to, to pro-life, you know, which is, again, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful spell, right? The words pro-life, like, yes. What we have to recognize is if we are pro-life, then we are pro the lives of these women. Mm-hmm. And we are pro the lives of these children. And that means that we have a society that is there to support life. And so if we have laws where people cannot release pregnancies, then we have to have these impeccable containers where whoever is then bringing life through their body without feeling okay with it is held in therapy and is supported and then has years of therapy and support. And that child, there's a beautiful, there must be a beautiful web of adoption where they can feel received and loved by a family who's been praying for them. And, and like, that's what pro-life means. But instead, we live in a world where, like, there's no health care, where these, where unfortunately this law means that women are going to die. I mean, this law says that women cannot abort if there is a risk to their life. You know, I had an ectopic pregnancy. I once got pregnant 
and there was a pregnancy in my fallopian tube. I started bleeding internally. I was teaching at the time and I thought I was having a miscarriage and I went on to teach. I taught for eight hours thinking I was having a miscarriage. I went to the hospital after teaching and the doctor became white and he said, oh my God, I don't know how you're alive. You've been bleeding internally. You have to have emergency surgery now or you're gonna die. And I walked across the parking lot to this hospital dictating a will and a letter to my daughter, so terrified that I was gonna die and, and going under anesthesia for the first time in my life. I'd never been in a hospital before. Thank God I woke up, thank goddess. But you know, they took out my fallopian tube right now. And I'm a mom and I have a 10 year old and I'm alive and, and you know, think I'm so grateful, you know. And now the law would say that I can't go across the street in that moment. I actually just have to bleed to death in the parking lot. Like that is the reality of this law. So you can't say you're pro-life and pro this, this political situation. And unfortunately, the people that it will most affect are people who are underprivileged and marginalized because people who have privilege will travel to places where they can have an abortion. And people who are already so vulnerable are not gonna have access to, to, to healthcare. Already in this country, there is such poor access to healthcare. It's, it's really shameful. It's actually really embarrassing how we treat our humans in this country. Mm. And you know, something that enrages me is that women are paying taxes. We are paying the wages of these people who have just taken away our right to healthcare. And that's infuriating. That is infuriating. So yeah, I've, I've got a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot going around about herbal abortions, but the reality is it's a very, it could be very harmful to the child might not necessarily work. And there could be issues yeah. that happen with the child, which is even worse. Right. So I'd love you to speak to that because I think a lot of, there's a lot of like, okay, we can just do herbal abortions, but it's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's really important for people to understand that, that you really cannot self-administer an herbal abortion. Yes. It's important for all of us now to take our power back in the, in the sense of educating ourselves about preventative measures. What do we do in these situations? But it's also really important for people to understand that herbs are powerful, plants are powerful, and herbal abortions are not easy. I have supported women for, you know, many, many, many years in all stages and phases. And I actually tend to recommend getting a medical abortion versus doing an herbal abortion. And that's because the medical abortions, which are abortions that you take a pill of hormones and if you catch a pregnancy before nine weeks, um, typically you're, you're able to do this. You can go into Planned Parenthood and, and get um, get this. I can't remember. It's called a medical abortion. I don't know. It probably has another name as well. Plan B. Um, no. but it's just a, it, I don't think it's Plan B. Plan B is if you had sex unprotected and you're worried that maybe implantation occurred. Anyways, you take this. It's a high dose of hormones and, and it, it makes you have a miscarriage. And your body thinks it's a miscarriage. Your body reacts as if you just had a miscarriage, which also has really important repercussions that women need to understand and how to properly take care of themselves afterwards and what to avoid. But 
anyways, that is actually a really safe and effective method. And there's no, you know, no one has to go in. There's no vacuum abortion. It's, it's, it's relatively it, as, as easeful as it can go. And I recommend that over an herbal abortion. An herbal abortion won't necessarily work. And, you know, it, it can cause complications. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to transition the conversation to the hope because I saw something yeah. on your Instagram that was like planting seeds is the hope or something like this. And mm. I love that. And Lauren and I were talking today about the hope. Like, you know, we do what we do because we do believe that we can move through this, that we can come together as women. That's, you know, why we teach about women's circles and the power of coming together. So share with us about the hope, your visions, so you can feel yeah. juicy. Oh my God, there's there's so much hope. And, you know, what I mean, for one thing, like just from my perspective, like when I got into herbalism, it was such a fringe thing. Like nobody really did it. It was kind of, you know, nowadays everybody's very interested. And even with, you know, the challenges of COVID, one of the beautiful things that has happened is people have actually learned to slow down. A lot of people have asked themselves, wait, what do I value? How do I want to use my time? Do I really want to be driving all this way? You know, do I really want to be working in this way? You know, it, there's, I think, been a lot more of an invitation for people to spend quality time with their families. So there's been a lot of internal shifts in, in culture and in the human psyche. And then there's been this real interest. People are realizing like, oh, I can actually protect myself and boost my immunity with plants that are really safe and accessible. And, you know, for COVID and for other viruses and, and other pathogens. And so there's been a huge interest um, and that is immensely hopeful. And people are into planting gardens and they're into growing their own food and they're into getting food locally and, and going to farmer's markets. So I'm seeing a lot of, of real beauty. And, you know, what's incredible, too, is that I think that those of us who do work close to the earth are just constantly shocked at how quickly the earth heals herself mm. when she's given the chance. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to plant cover crop in the fall and cover crop are these plants, they're seeds that tend to like fix nitrogen and build soil. And, you know, here in Southern California, where I live, like a lot of the soil is really depleted and it's dry and there's like no organic matter in it. If you put water on it, it just like, it's like as if, you know, it, it bakes in the sun. So it's as if like, you know, you were to pour water over a, a baked pot. It just like pours right off. There's the water doesn't sink in, but you plant cover crop and in one season, suddenly you've just created topsoil. Like you as a human have made topsoil, which is really amazing because topsoil is the skin of the earth that sequesters carbon and it's what's needed for us to have food. And you know, something that is kind of really stark and, and, and intense is that the UN, I think a few years ago said like, we only have 60 years left of topsoil on the planet, which is, you know, really kind of frightening. That means like 30 years, if you have two cycles or 60 years of growing food. And so when you start to realize like, I don't have to be an amazing farmer. I don't need to know anything complicated, but if I compost and if I plant cover crop, then I can actually create soil. Then we start to realize like, oh my gosh, we are not a virus as humans on this earth. We are medicine. 
We are made to be alchemists. Us humans have a part in making this earth thrive. And it's really empowering and really hopeful. And it's so accessible. And it's simple. It's really mm. simple. It's such a sign of the time of the feminine, the reclamation of the mother and our inherent mm. connection with her. And I see yeah. the hope too in the way women are relating to one another. They're wanting to mm. circle. They're wanting to reclaim their ritual. They're wanting to connect with the earth again. It's like really prevalent that yeah. women are remembering and they're wanting to create space for that type of connection and sisterhood. Yes. So that's another thing to be hopeful for. And, you know, regarding what's taking place right now, the left, right, left, right, round again, round again, round again, I do believe that it's as simple as us really reconnecting, you know, yeah. and generation by generation, the reconnection is is the blooming forest rather than yes. this this competitive back and forth of who's right and who's wrong. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Yeah. The, the creating of community, the sitting in circle, the non-hierarchical, right? Like that's what's so magical about women's circles is there isn't a power structure. There isn't a hierarchy. It's not top over bottom. It's a circle. And that's, that is medicine right there. That's what shifts the part of us that grew up in a hierarchical structure or under a system of oppression. When we start to gather in circle, we're shifting culture. So Marisha, for our final question, we ask every guest, if the goddess were to speak through you, the great mother, our earth, Panchamama, were to speak through you, what would she have you say? She says, Remember how deeply and completely loved you are, how holy you are, how sacred and important your life is, and enjoy it, enjoy it, relax your body and open into the pleasure of being so loved and so alive because your joy feeds the holy. Mm. Thank you so much, Marisha, for being here on the Time of the Feminine podcast. I literally am now going to go plant like some kind of uh, cover crop in my yard. So, <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I was just like, what do I do with this like piece of dirt that I have in my garden that's like the soil is really not good. So, So yeah. there we go. You can plant cover crop, yeah. You could just mulch it, you know, put wood chips on it, just cover it. Mm -hmm. They say like the earth likes to she's she's discreet. She likes to be covered, not yeah. bare naked. <laughs> she wants a hat. Yeah. Um will you share with everybody about where women can find you? Yes. You can join my apprenticeship. It's called the Apprenticeship to the Sacred Wild. It's open to all gendered people. It begins in September, and we journey together for 10 months through the wheel of the year, ending at the summer solstice. And you can learn more about it on schoolofthesacredwild.com. And also my Instagram, which is my name, Marisha Mirnowska. And you can also find me on Instagram under Sacred Ritual, which is a line of organic 
skincare that I create that is made with plants that regenerate the soil and regenerate our skin and are very beautifying and healing. And you can also check out my book, which is called The Witch's Herbal Apothecary. Mm. Yoo-hoo. Thank you so much. Yoo-hoo. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. What a rich conversation. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Time and the Feminine podcast. It's so fun and such a privilege to have these conversations with these incredible guests. We ask that you follow them, support them, like their work, buy their books. And it's an even greater privilege and honor that you, sister, are listening. And so we want to give back to you. If this episode was meaningful, let us know by giving us a review and come join us in Circle. Every new moon, we have a donation-based circle. No woman is turned away. So come, sit, show your face, listen, be a part of the community, and let us dive deeper and do this work together in action, in practice, together in sisterhood. And for those of you who are already holding space and want to dive deeper into this art, you are invited to take Sacred Facilitator or any of our facilitation programs that we have throughout the year. So go to globalsisterhood.org to learn more or follow us at the Global Sisterhood on Instagram. Episodes drop every single Thursday and we have some really beautiful episodes in store. So until then, loves, much love and a big, big hug.